Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk, I'm Alcina Lloyd, and this is The Daily Download. Today, you'll be listening to an interview that features HousingWire's lead analyst, Logan Motoshami. In this episode, he discusses his recent HW Plus article, which explains what factors are likely to drive mortgage rates in 2021. But before we listen, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Extraordinary challenges demand extraordinary solutions. CoreLogic is uniquely positioned to help you navigate this historic disruption. Whether it's virtual home showings, flexible employment verifications, or automated loan modification engines, CoreLogic delivers the data-driven solutions, targeted insights, and deep domain expertise trusted by the nation's most successful mortgage lenders. Explore how CoreLogic can help you today. Visit corelogic.com forward slash COVID-19. Today, I am joined with HousingWare's lead analyst, Logan Murashami. Listeners today, Logan will be speaking to us about his recent HW Plus article, which explains what factors are likely to drive mortgage rates in 2021. Logan, as we quickly approach the end of 2020, HousingWire is starting to get a lot of forecasts that are predicting market trends for 2021. One of the most popular forecasts we've seen are those pertaining to mortgage rates. In fact, several commenters have indicated rates are likely to rise in 2021. Before we dive into your article, what do you think is going to happen with rates this year? Well, going back to my AB economic model that I wrote for HousingWire on April 7th, you know, one of the variables was that the 10-year yield should get above 1%, which means mortgage rates are going to rise. You know, then before the before rates and the bond market uh, fell noticeably, I talked about this range between the negative 21 basis points to 62 basis points on a 10-year yield, and we've been above that for for majority of the time. So naturally, when the economy starts to grow better, a lot of this is, you know, the last few sectors of the economy that are just treading water, we need a vaccine for that. So over time, as like a lot of the data has shown, we've shown these V-shaped recoveries on consumption, some of the manufacturing, but the last step is actual real traditional economic growth. So the bond market will get ahead of that. And that's why I thought this year, you know, working from that, the lowest of all bars ever, the 10-year yield should get above 1%. And mortgage rates should rise within this year, working from that bottom, just in that context. And right now, I think that 10 year yield got about 82 basis points. We're, all, we're not that far away from getting above 1%. So it was a lot of this is just based on 2020. And if you get consistent economic growth, even if it's one to two and a half percent, two to three quarters, the 10 year yield should be above 1% then. But again, we're dealing with the mother of all shocks. Right? And this is not just here in America, it's, it's around the world. So the economies just aren't working functioning, which is a deflationary aspect, which is correct for the bond market to kind of uh, uh, trade at these levels. But at some point, we do get a vaccine. We're looking at more disaster relief. And then at some point, we get actually a stimulus plan uh, after disaster relief. That all should get us to traditional normal growth here in the U.S., which means mortgage rates, the bond market should rise. Right. Well, thank you for answering that. And let's actually move on to your article. In your piece, which is titled, What Could Drive Mortgage Rates in 2021? You attribute potential movement to a single factor, economic growth. Why do you believe this is such an important factor? Well, if you look at the bond market and mortgage rates from 1981 going all the way down to 2020, it's been in a downtrend. You know, uh, growth 
uh, annual uh, levels of growth has been in a downtrend. It's very normal, you know, for an older country, uh, labor force growth, productivity growth slowing down. So there should be no reason why mortgage rates and bond markets shouldn't go down with it. Uh, inflation expectations are, 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 are very soft and mild. That's been here really since 1996. So there's no real reason for mortgage rates not to be this low. Uh, we're, and this should be here for many, many decades to come, just because unless we fiscally stimulate the economy for a very short term, that's the only thing that would actually bring mortgage rates higher above trend. And, and, and the reason I wrote that in that forecast is, and you know, from 2015 to 2020, uh, I always talk about the 10 year yield should be between 160 to 3%. If you look at the bond market, that's the majority where it's been since 2015 until the recession happens. But, you know, this is a very, this is a one-time shock. If you take COVID out of here, we would have been normal expansion still today. But at some point, you know, the shock's going to wear off. All this uh, stimulus, you know, the savings rate, the disposable income. Once you get a vaccine going, you know, people will travel more, you know, oil prices rise. All that will push the 10-year yield higher and it'll push mortgage rates higher. So that's basically what people should focus on, not on the conspiracy theory that baby boomers have been telling everybody that higher federal debt means higher rates. We have to, we have to take that out because I think millennials and Gen Z deserve better than what the baby boomers have been telling them for many decades. All right, so to kind of touch on what you just said about COVID-19, in your article, you imply that to no surprise, COVID-19 will also be a factor that determines rates. You say right now, the number of COVID-19 cases in the U.S. is rising. And if the trend continues, you expect it to reach new daily highs in the number of cases, which will potentially lead to such high levels of hospitalization rates. The government will reinforce national restrictions that could put the economy at risk. Well, here's the thing. We had such a shock. And one of the reasons why I talked about we, we can't have a W again. The fear of the virus was really the, the main factor in terms of the economic uh, downturn. I mean, we were changing behavior in the sense i always say is we're hoarding toilet paper right you know and we don't do that but as time went by we as a country have learned to consume goods and services so i don't believe in the double dip recession that some people are talking about in terms of getting back to to those lows but if cases keep on rising right like that we see in europe you know and they get to a point where cities have to restrict some activity That'll slow the process down. I mean, honestly, if we didn't have that second surge uh, earlier this uh, this year, I think the 10-year yield would have already been above 1%. But again, this is a global pandemic, right? This is not easy, right? The whole world is dealing with this. So cases can rise like it has, you know, in the last few weeks. And the bond market actually rises with it because I think we, we are starting to find a pathway in the vaccine, right? That vaccine is that one last thing. Once we can get that and people can walk the earth freely, I think that overrides even if we get a smaller disaster really package because it's really behavior. You know, there's some areas of the country that are open, but people just don't want to go back to the gym. People don't want to go to movies. People just don't act like they usually do. I think a vaccine is that one last variable that once we know it's here and we can distribute it out, the bond market will get ahead of that. We're not there yet, but we're working our way there. As you can see, the bond market is rising, even though cases are rising here in America and around the world. Thank you for diving a little deeper into that. And now I want to kind of talk about these variables. We have COVID-19, we have the economy, but we also have the presidential election. Now, in your article, you say the election will have an impact on mortgage rates, as you claim whichever presidential uh, candidate wins could have a hand in championing the bond market or GDP growth. To set up this point, your article highlights that the disaster relief aid distributed to distressed Americans this year was responsible for increasing the savings rates to a level above pre-COVID times. 
You argue that if the government had not implemented the fiscal disaster relief and monetary actions from the Federal Reserve, you believe the bond market would still be in a recessionary range of a negative 0.21% to negative 0.62%. How could a new president either champion economic growth or dampen it? There's limits to what the economy can grow, grow just labor force and productivity. And I'm not a big believer of presidents in economic cycles, but we have a very unique situation here. We should have done disaster relief months ago, but I just, I just, from what I see, I, I just don't think the Republicans were very sure that President Trump was going to win, so they don't want to give uh, uh, Biden any kind of fiscal aid up front so early. So there's just been a tug of war on that. If the president wins and the Republicans hold the Senate, I bet you they just pass something very fast if they don't pass something this week. Uh, if the Democrats win, if Biden wins the presidency and the Democrats get the Senate, look for more fiscal uh, uh, disaster relief and then a future stimulus. Those both things will, you know, let yields rise, especially once we get a vaccine. But if Biden wins the presidency and the Republicans hold the Senate, I just think the Republicans do what they always do. They just come back to we're broke, our grandkids and all that stuff. And then it could just drag out any real fiscal uh, aid from the government side until, you know, their constituents actually say, hey, we need help. But uh, if either party wins cleanly, I just think right away they're just going to uh, put the money in. So this is the problem with politics. You know, there's this whole game around it when it's really obvious that there's certain sectors that just need disaster relief. Right, especially the housing market. Um, so thank you for uh, answering all of my mortgage questions. And throughout those questions, you've answered a lot of topics that I think our listeners are curious about, whether that be housing inventory, the millennials, the Gen Zs. So my last and final question for you is, as we head towards the end of 2020, do you have any predictions or any forecasts for 2021? Anything that we'd like to hear? I always do my yearly forecast literally at the end of the end of December, just because I think there's so many high variables these days that you just can't, you know, uh, you know, last year is a good example. Everybody did their uh, 20, uh, 20 predictions and then we had COVID. Here's one thing that we have to start to realize. Housing data on the charts look way too hot, right? We had a, we had a very uh, a deep contraction and then we just shot right back up. The data will moderate, but don't like freak out. The problem with Twitter finance and everybody, the housing bears, as soon as they see a slight little dip, like, oh no, this is it, it's over, we're gonna, these people are drama people, right? So when the data moderates, we'll get to a point where we can actually work with housing data in a normal fashion. I think that's what I'm trying to stress here. Because if you look at new home sale charts, you look at pending home sales, these things are just way too wild in 2020 to get a kind of a normal trend. Always look at purchase application data on a year-over-year basis. I saw today already people making mistakes on Twitter finance, taking the total application data of the refinances, of course, the rate of growth of refinances is slowing and just trying to say, oh, housing is, no, we're showing 20% plus average growth with 22 straight weeks, right? At some point, the data will moderate and then we can work from it then, but don't fall prey to the bubble boys, the forbearance crash bros, and these people, these are marketing gimmicks. These aren't actually economic data people. All right. And let's let's talk about inventory one more time, because that's a really big hot topic right now, too. Uh, inventory is low, but some would say otherwise. What do you think about that? Inventory has been low for many years. And as long as demand rises up, we have homes to buy. My my I guess my beef with the housing community has always been that whenever there's a miss in the existing home sales report, they go, oh, how can sales grow if there's no homes to buy next month sales grow and there are homes to buy? Right. And we saw that in January, February data. You know, the existing home sales hit a pre-cycle high when inventory was at cycle lows. 
how does that work out with the no home supply? So as much as I go after the bearish people on housing and the U.S. economy, the housing community has some marketing gimmicks that they've used since 1999. If you really had record-breaking demand, no home supply, you know what the data would look like? It looked like a 2002 to 2005 where real home prices take off. And that's the one thing that I've been most concerned about about this period, years 2020 to 2024, something I've talked about for many years, is that real home prices have the potential to take off. Why? Because mortgage rates should be low. We have the best housing demographic patch ever, but housing tenure is at 10 years, right? What we want to see is people moving, right? You need a reason to move, right? Marriage, kids, school, jobs, divorce. There's all these different factors on why people move. If you can get people to move around, you get a little bit of growth in sales and housing is stable. And that's the thing is that we're going to have a stable existing home sales market. But, you know, the no homes to buy when, guess what happened the last three months? We had homes to buy. When demand grows, it grows with it. So there's a natural equilibrium between supply and demand. So just kind of chill on the no homes to buy act. All right. So we'll have to revisit in 2021 to see if these predictions actually happen. And based on uh, some of the knowledge that you shared this year, I wouldn't be surprised if you're right. So <laughs> we'll see then. Uh, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure to be here. All right. Hope to have you back soon. Thanks for listening to the daily download today. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on the news of the day as we continue to share the hottest topics in the industry every weekday. With that, it's a wrap on today's episode of the daily download and catch everyone here again.